0: You're listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. To find out more about the Hall Vineyard Church, go to hallvineyard.co.uk.
1: So I'll be reading from Daniel 6. It pleaded Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, making Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repelled. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being, except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repelled. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lion overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then king Darius said, wrote to all the nations, and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions said so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian.
0: Turn with me quickly to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll start in verse 12 and I want to read a few verses. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Today we are um, talking about persecution. In a fascinating turn of events, both of our scriptures for the morning service, as we've been looking at Daniel, and the evening service in 1 Peter kind of converge on this theme, which seems to be the whisper of the Lord for our church in this moment. And um, if you're new to our community, we are kind of approaching the end of a sermon series called Embracing Exile. In the morning, we've been in Daniel. In the evening, we've been in 1 Peter. But focusing on Daniel, the big idea is this. Just like Daniel, we find ourselves in exile. If you follow Jesus, if you apprentice under Jesus, the Bible says that we do not belong to this world Bible says in 1 Peter and Daniel, we are aliens, we are strangers, we are foreigners, we are ambassadors from another realm, we are travelers, currently on a journey through a world that is not our home. And as we began the book of Daniel, which you can catch up on on our website, right at the start, we peered into a deeply painful and traumatic time in the history of God's People. If you're jumping in at Daniel 6, you've not listened to anything else in the book of Daniel, let me get you up to speed. The start of Daniel, we see a painful and traumatic time in God's people. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacks God's people in Jerusalem. Babylon desecrates the temple, steals precious items, and traffics some of Israel, Israel's best young men back to the nation of Babylon And Daniel is one of these men. What we've read about in Daniel over the last few weeks is essentially that Babylon's tactic for cultural conquest was domination by assimilation. So what would happen is the best of Israel would be fully inculcated into Babylonian culture. Forced to adopt their practices, their food, their language, their names were changed. Even their identities came under attack. So these Israelites, this group of Israelites in exile, of which Daniel was one, were living in a foreign place under remarkable pressure to conform and to become like Babylon. And if they didn't, they were under threat of violence, ostracization, and death. But what we have discovered is that what started off looking like a defeat quickly turned into looking like the sovereignty of God as we saw the fingerprints and see the fingerprints and the favor of God all over Daniel's life and Daniel's friends as they live in exile. Here's the big idea of this series. Church Babylon is still very much alive and well, and we live there. We live in an age and a culture completely at odds with the ways and the values and the principles of the kingdom of God. And today in Daniel chapter 6, we stumble upon a story, which if you have grown up in Sunday school, might be familiar to you. It was a firm favorite of mine growing up. Um, But it is another moment in the life of Daniel where he comes face to face with significant and severe persecution. At every turn in Daniel's life, he is pressured to compromise, pressured to bow the knee, pressured to eat specific foods, pressured to worship false gods, pressured to stop worshipping the one true God. And our journey in this series is really asking the question, what does it look like not for us to just survive but to thrive in exile in an environment of often pain, pressure, and persecution. And today I want to talk about persecution. If you want a title for this evening's talk, it is simply Life in the Lion's Den. Across the world today, for millions of Christians, for millions of followers of Jesus, persecution is a daily reality. Let me give you some examples for how Christians are being persecuted from Open Doors, which is a charity working um, with the persecuted church. In Pakistan, there has been a huge increase in abductions and forced conversions of underage non-Muslim girls, mostly Christians, as young as 10, and they are kidnapped and married to their captors. Last month, in October, a bill was put forward to outlaw this make it illegal, and it got rejected. In India, over lockdown, there has been an enormous increase in the persecution of Christians. The country has been devastated due to COVID, and many Christians find themselves overlooked or last in line for treatment to get help because simply their faith. North Korea has been... um, For many years now, named as the number one most dangerous place on earth to be a follower of Jesus. If you follow Jesus in North Korea, you are, and you're caught, you're put in a labor camp. And right now, today, at least 50,000 followers of Jesus are living in North Korean labor camps, which are essentially like hell on earth. They are horrendous. And one story I read from someone who managed to escape told of how Christians would meet to have fellowship in the toilets. Because they were the only place so disgusting that the guards wouldn't come in. Let me tell you the story of a man named Hien from Vietnam who experienced extraordinary persecution due to his faith in Jesus during the Vietnam War. It's a powerful story. During his time in jail, he was arrested for following Jesus. His jailers tried to indoctrinate him against the Christian faith. He was restricted to communist propaganda in French or Vietnamese. And the daily deluge of Marx and Engels, communist uh, philosophers, began to take its toll. Maybe he thought, maybe I've been lied to. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe I've been deceived. So Hien determined that when he woke up the next morning, he would not pray anymore. He would not think of God, think of his faith. He would turn away from God, the next morning. The next morning came, and he was assigned the dreaded chore of cleaning out the toilets. As he was cleaning out the muck, he cleaned out a tin can which was overflowing with toilet paper. And his eye caught what seemed to be a glimpse of English printed on one of the pieces of paper, and he he grabbed it, he washed it, and after his roommates had retired that night, he began to read. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wept. He knew his Bible. And he knew there was not a more relevant passage for one on the verge of giving up on God. He cried out to God, asked for forgiveness. For this would have been the first day he would not have prayed Definitely, evidently, God had other plans. After finding the scripture, Hien asked the commander if he could clean the toilets regularly because he discovered that some official was using the Bible as toilet paper. And each day, Hien picked up a portion of scripture, cleaned it off, and added it to his collection of nightly reading. In the Western church, for us, for many years, we have lived, on the whole, unpersecuted. We don't know what it's really like to be threatened, intimidated, falsely accused, or attacked. But our culture is moving towards an environment of hostility towards those that are faithful to Jesus. John Mark Comer, pastor in the States, says this. He says, We have known for a long time we live in a post-Christian world, but there has been a disorienting shift towards Christians in our world today. If you read much of the mainstream media, follow the most vocal on social media, the shift is really that radical followers of Jesus are not so much seen as the odd guest at a wedding, but more like the enemy. People are increasingly hostile towards the church, and Christians are being made to feel more and more alienated. Question to ask tonight. How do we, as followers, apprentices under Jesus... Live and thrive in a cultural milieu of increasing hostility and growing persecution, i.e. the lion's den. Here's three options for you. Option A is that we don't. We don't say yes to the way of Jesus. We choose to compromise on our convictions. We live like the world. We allow ourselves to adopt the cultural clothes of society so that we can blend in and avoid any pain or persecution. Option B is that we edit the way of Jesus to make it more palatable. We take out all the bits which are challenging or or difficult or not up to date on what the world thinks. Is there a third way? I think there is. I'm calling it the Daniel way. Living a life in our time of faith and faithfulness, conviction, fidelity to the Lord, standing firm no matter what is going on all around us, even when we are in the lion's den. The reality is, church, family, that for those of us that follow Jesus, persecution and attack is to be expected. Jesus said this himself in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said this in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Encouraging. I want to explore three things about persecution when it arises in our world that we need to remember if we are to live the Daniel way. First of all, we need to find out what is the reason for persecution. Secondly, we need to work out a response to persecution. And thirdly, I want to talk about the reward For persecution. So we start with the first one. What is the reason for persecution? Daniel in this passage experienced extraordinary, remarkable persecution. Why? Let's read again. Daniel 6, it says this It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, I don't know what a satrap is, but it sounds pretty official to rule throughout the kingdom. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself, if you're making notes, write that down or underline that in your Bible, among the whole, among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, underline that. Verse 4, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Key phrase in there is the king had planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The reason... Daniel experienced persecution and came under attack in this passage is because God was doing incredible things through his life. The king had planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. Think about this. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was trafficked from Israel to the tyrant nation of Babylon. Daniel chapter 6, the king is so impressed with Daniel's character and wisdom and life, that he wants to make him the leader of the nation under the king. Isn't that that remarkable? And so the, the schemers, the satraps, the administrators, see what God is doing through the life of Daniel and go after him. The reason he came under attack is because God's doing incredible things. In other words, the enemy attacks where the kingdom is advancing. The enemy attacks where the kingdom is advancing. Satan always has a pop where God is moving. Whenever the enemy attacks, the sole purpose is to destroy what God is doing and what God is about to do. I want this to encourage you tonight, church. Whenever we get criticized or persecuted, whenever you get slightly ostracized or or attacked for following Jesus, when we get falsely accused or marginalized or disenfranchised, it is always because the enemy knows what is right around the corner. He always knows what God is about to do through you. Daniel's enemies saw his influence, saw the hand of God on him, saw the kind of plans the king had for him, and their attack was designed to disrupt and derail Daniel's destiny. But how many of you know that um, whatever the enemy throws at us, whatever comes our way, no no weapon formed against us will prosper? I've been speaking to a lot of people in the church just over the last week or two. And for a lot of people, it just feels like we're in a, there personally, in a tough season. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's being ostracized at work. Maybe. Just feeling like the enemy is having a go. And if that's you here tonight, if you feel like you've just been in a hard season, I want to encourage you to say that the enemy knows what's right around the corner for you. He sees what God is doing in your life, even if you don't. And he's having a go. Keep going, don't give up. And look guys, everything God is doing amongst us as a church. Who was here for the baptism service a few weeks ago? Nine baptisms, Remarkable stories. Our compassion ministry is thriving and flourishing. People who um, need help are being loved and welcomed. We had 30 people at our soup kitchen on Monday last week. Unbelievable. We had uh, 50 at our newcomers last month. We are growing as a church. God is doing something. This Wednesday just gone, we had our biggest ever stay and play group. God is on the move in the church. It's not an accident when the enemy attacks. It's actually affirmation that something incredible is happening and about to happen. Two weeks ago, I spoke on Daniel chapter four in the morning, talked about the sovereignty of God. And here's what you need to know in any season of persecution. God is always on the throne. God is always in control. The Bible says that he is seated on the throne. Do you know what that means? He's not standing up. He's not running around. He's not hot and sweaty. He's not freaking out. He's not out of control. God is always on the throne. He is always in control. Persecution comes to destroy what God is doing. They wanted to stop Daniel from fulfilling his destiny. But it also comes to disrupt and distract us from our life with God, from our destiny, to stop us, to derail us, to discourage us, and ultimately to get us to quit on God and quit on his call. The schemers in the passage came up with a plan to trap Daniel. They knew there was nothing wrong with his life, so they had to come up with a problem with his faith, so they created a law to stop him praying and worshiping his God. He could pray to no one else except the king. He could no longer bow the knee to anyone except the king on punishment of death. Persecution, guys, is designed to disrupt our life with God. How does that happen? Well, when we face a problem, so often it becomes our focus. It becomes the thing that occupies our vision, our Goliath, and all we can see is the problem. It takes our focus off God. And the enemy's primary focus in life is to cause you to worship something else or cause your view of God to get small in comparison with the problem. Sometimes when we face difficulty, our problem feels huge and God feels small. We often think that spiritual warfare is a big thing, um, but most of the time, actually, it's something subtle. Something, just a word that someone might say or sometimes a look across a room or just something that will discourage your spirit, draw your gaze away from Jesus, something that causes us to be distracted or anything that distorts the truth about who God is and who we are in Christ. So the persecution Daniel faced was designed to stop God doing what he was doing And to draw Daniel away from his life with God. And when we realize the purpose behind persecution, it should give us a plan for how we then live in the lion's den. So what should our response be to persecution? Well, let's look at Daniel. What's the first thing that Daniel does when he realizes and discovers it is, it is illegal to pray and worship God? What does he do? He gets down on his knees three times a day and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It says that in the text. As he had done previously. As he had done previously. I love that. Persecution is designed to disrupt and derail. It's designed to intimidate and cause fear. Fear but our conviction as followers of Jesus is that regardless of what happens around us, our mission stays the same. We exist to welcome our city home to God as we have done previously. We exist to love God and love people no matter who you are, no matter what your story, no matter what what your background, as we had done previously. We exist to be a light in the darkness and bring hope to the hopeless as we have done previously. We say no to intimidation and no to fear, but we say yes to Jesus as we have done previously. Daniel, God on his knees, as was his habit, regardless of the threats. The story is famous for the lions. It's famous for the schemers and their trap. But look at the response of Daniel. He didn't slow down or change direction in the face of persecution He wasn't distracted. He didn't compromise. He stayed faithful. He ran his race. He kept his eyes fixed on God. He kept close to the Lord. He didn't quit on God. He kept doing exactly what God had called him to do. And if you are in that place of struggle right now, if life is difficult, let me encourage you, just don't give up. Don't quit on God. Keep going. No matter what happens, keep going. And Daniel gets arrested. He gets arrested for his faithfulness to God, his fidelity to the Lord, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. If you know the story of Daniel, this is just one of many ways that people have tried to kill him. Um, In Daniel chapter 3, I think it is, he gets thrown into a fiery furnace. Anyone familiar with that story? Thrown into a fiery furnace. If you're not, read it. It's absolutely wild. And I just wonder if um, this time there was like a meeting of all the administrators and the satraps and they're working out how to kill Daniel. And one guy who's obviously new to the room goes, hey, why don't we try the furnace? That's, That's awesome. Someone else is like, you're obviously new here. We tried that before. It didn't work. Let's go with the lions this time. That guy's fireproof. And he gets thrown to the lions. Verse 17 says this, a stone then gets rolled across the entrance to the den to keep Daniel in. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. A stone is rolled across the den. Does that remind you of anyone? The tomb of Jesus. Here's the thing. That moment or place in your life where it looks like your greatest defeat, the cross and the tomb. The lion's den. Actually, God is going to use that to demonstrate his greatest victories. The tomb where the body of Jesus was laid was a place of death, but then all of a sudden it was empty, and that place was the news of the risen Jesus. The first place that news of the risen Jesus was proclaimed. The lion's den was meant to be a place of destruction for Daniel, but it's now told as a story of his victory and where his enemies were crushed. And here's the thing, what the enemy means for evil guys, God is gonna work for good. That place in your life where it is your your hardest moment, where you feel the most weak and vulnerable, that place of where it just feels like the enemy's having to go, let me encourage you by saying that is actually gonna be the place and the moment of God's greatest victory. The empty tomb is a symbol of life, not death. The lion's den is now a picture of victory instead of defeat. What are you experiencing? In your life today, that feels like a defeat. God is going to use it for good. He brings beauty from ashes. He brings hope when it feels hopeless. He's bigger than you think, and he's better than you can imagine. Daniel survived in the den, and no harm was found on him at all. Why? The text says because he trusted in his God. Our response when we go through difficult times and persecution and attack has to be to constantly and relentlessly trust in God despite what it looks like, despite how hard it gets, despite the pain or the pressure or the persecution, despite how close the lions are because God is our deliverer. Our response to persecution should be persevering keep going despite what it looks like. So what is the reward for persecution? What happened to Daniel? Verse 24, let me read a few verses. It says this, what happened to Daniel? At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. I preached this message this morning, and one guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, Josh, I thought it was a great talk, but why didn't you spend more time talking about the wives and kids that went into the lion's den? I was like, because I think it was a bit harsh, if if I'm honest. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to every nation on earth and the people of every language in all the earth and told them about God. 28 says this, then Daniel prospered. Here's three things that happened to Daniel out of his season in the lion's den. Firstly, there was justice. Secondly, there was a worldwide witness. And thirdly, there was prosperity. Firstly, justice. When we're in a difficult time, it often feels like justice is far away, but we know we can trust God that he will right every wrong. And make everything okay. The men that had falsely accused Daniel were themselves thrown into the lion's den, and Daniel was um, restored. There was justice. Secondly, there was a witness. The king Darius wrote to every nation and people of every language in all the earth and told them about the one true living God. As we persevere through seasons of trial and difficulty and persecution, actually it bears an incredible witness to the world around us who look on us and say, man, those followers of Jesus have got something which sustains them through tough times. Maybe there is a living God who is over and above all things that is with them. There is a witness, it brings hope to the world. And finally, there is prosperity. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The hand and the favor of God rests in increasing measure upon those that persevere through trial. I actually believe that these three things will always come after seasons of trial or persecution in this life or the next. Um, Let me read a few words from Jesus about the reward that he offers those that follow him through trials. In Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are persecuted because of Jesus, we are blessed. Because in the next life, there are eternal rewards. We don't often talk about the next life. I think we should. How we respond to Jesus determines where we spend eternity. What we do with our life determines how we will spend eternity. For those that persevere with Christ, heaven will be full of incredible rewards and um, the Bible talks a lot about them. And here we have some, great is your reward in heaven. James 1 says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There are rewards for persevering. So whatever you're going through, guys, it might not happen now. It might not happen for a while. The promise of Jesus, one of the most discouraging promises in the Bible, is that in this world we will have trouble. So that is something to be expected. And hopefully from this text today, we've learned a little bit more about how we navigate seasons of difficulty and trial. Amen. Amen.